Hello and good morning, everybody. Hi, good morning. How are you doing? Is this the doctor? Yes, it is. Man, I'm blessed to just have a great conversation with you without a producer being around. What's going on, guy? How do you have the time to talk to me today? Listen, I made time for you here, and I'm so grateful that you have time for me. Oh, my God. You know what? We all need to hear the stories that you went through, because I'm a daily writer, and there were many countless times that I wrote about doctors and what you guys were going through, but it was an assumption until I got this book. And and my God, for you to bear your soul like you have, it shows how much death Dedication and loyalty and determination was required during this moment of change. Oh my gosh, that means so much coming from you. Thank you so much. How easy was it to write the book? There's no way that it easily flowed out. You know, it took me two years. It was a process. I did not write this all at once. I wrote it in chunks. Um, What really helped me was that there was a lot of pictures on my phone. So in the era of smartphones with two little kids, we have to remember that I capture, my wife and I capture each and every moment. I took a lot of random pictures at the hospital of me, colleagues, what we were going through. Not so much that I had an intent to share it at some point. It was just kind of marking the moment. Um, But I didn't realize how powerful that would be until I went back and used those pictures to kind of set the scene and get back into it. It was cathartic writing these. There were times when I felt uncomfortable writing. I felt like, oh, my goodness, did we really go through this? Um, And there was other times where I said, I need to share this. People need to hear this. So it was a process. Yeah, because the further we get away from it, the the more we're going to go, what, what, really, really? And and the thing about it is, though, is that you're open and honest inside these pages in the way. Now, this was the shocker to me, doctor. Sure. In all the things that were falling apart, there were still race issues. I, I am just blown away by that. Yeah. You know, racism has always been around. 2020 brought the twin pandemic of racism. The murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020 was a very tipping point. I live in Atlanta. We had a lot of tension. We had a lot of so events in the city, a lot of crime going on, a lot of protesting. But inside hospital walls, you know, remind, reminding ourselves that hospitals are little micro societies of their own. I could easily palpate frustration, tension between colleagues, and also from our patients. I could sense anger. I could sense power, you know, feeling a lack of power, feeling a lack of voice. There was so much that was obvious that probably there was there before, but was very clear to me during this part of the pandemic. And it really woke me up. Personally, First and foremost, I can never say that I know what it feels like to be an African-American patient or an African-American physician walking into a room or being examined by somebody. I don't. However, personally, I have vitiligo, which is a depigmentary skin disorder. So being Indian, I should look brown. But over the years, I've transformed into looking white. And patients will always ask me, well, Desai, that sounds Indian. Why don't you look Indian? And, you know, and I never get into the details because I never want it to be distracting. But obviously, personally, that can be very distracting. What I'm getting at is that that summer, I really realized, well, 
are people assuming based on my skin tone I should look a certain way and yeah. act a certain way because of my ethnicity? And it really was awakening to me um, that that's the first thing that we notice on somebody, and we probably have some biases and assumptions with that. Wow. And how you deal with that on a daily basis, because in reality, you may know a patient's name, but you don't know who the patient is that's, that's right there in front of you. You don't know what their thinking pattern is, and you don't know what their reaction skills are. No, we don't. We certainly don't. So um, my what I you know, over the years, one of my passions is the patient experience and human experience. And I've learned to be really direct. And I've also learned to be that compassion wins and loving your patients. That's what we you know, we have to do. We have to love our patients and have a compassion and a passion to heal. Um, and remembering that, that at the end of the day, I am here for the patient and the best joy I'm going to get is if I can give my best of caring and navigating for them in that era when there's so many competing priorities for us. Um, that's going to be my best option. Do you think that the racism in the in the medical world starts at the front door? And, and here, I'm going to explain that to you, okay? When I was, because of insurance, you're forced to switch doctors. I, yeah. I went to a new company and, they, and I said, I, I really want to be with this doctor. And they go, but he's African-American. I said, I don't care. I, wow. I really, I studied him. I want him to be my my primary physician. But 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 why did they have to put it out there? I mean, I love this man. I, I, I hate that they put it out there, and I wonder if they put it out there because they've had previous okay. experiences with patients not wanting to be seen, perhaps by an African American physician. Yeah. I have dealt with that with colleagues. I have a Muslim colleague who I talk about in my book who has had overt racism because she wears a hijab and patients have said, I don't want to be treated by a patient physician like you. I mean, it's atrocious. Wow. When I talk about it, it's atrocious. So do I think it starts at the front door? Absolutely. I think it's inherent and we have to keep fighting that. We have to advocate for each other and our patients. You know, we have to really have a two-way system of trust. And if we don't have trust, we don't have a relationship to heal. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when your son was brought into the world during the lockdown because I would love to have heard those conversations because that those seeds are going to be with your son forever. They're going to come up at a time in his life where he's going to go, I don't know where that thought come from. Well, you know what? It came from your dad and it was planted there a long time ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Certainly. It was a different world when he was born. Two weeks before, you know, basically the two weeks before the country shut down is when he was born. And it was a very pivotal time. Wow. Now, with a book like this, I mean, you we, we can only imagine what it was like not to have the protective gear. We The, the hospitals that, that were running around in circles. I mean, there was so much going on. People were dying. I'm going to use that word dying. I usually use transition, but we didn't know what was going on. But yet you had to be the superhero. You You were Superman and Wonder Woman at the same time. Yeah, you know, I don't like to use call myself Superman necessarily because I think I was I'll say that because I don't want to epitomize myself and say that I was doing what other people weren't doing. But right. I was really, truly surrounded by a village of people who were showing up every day putting their brave face on and doing the best that they can. And it took a toll on us. It really did. It really took a toll on us. And, you know, people were dying, but people were suffering. The Being a witness to suffering, that is so hard. COVID resulted in so much solitude and isolation for so many. Also in the hospital, when patients are feeling their worst, they did not have families with them. They didn't have anybody to advocate for them. We were in, dressed in this PPE, you know, covered. Um, 
it was very depersonalizing the whole experience and it, it just it, it was something that i hope we never have to go through to that degree again in our lifetimes we all know there's risk of that but it was it was a challenge and you know for healthcare workers like myself you know, my mental health took a toll too. I am a human being, I think, and that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is I want everybody to know that healthcare workers are human beings too, and it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, and that summer of 2020 is when I really realized, like, you know what? I can't be, just as you put it, Superman and go, 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 go. There comes a time where I have to say, okay, I need to slow down. Something's not right. And I talk about that openly in my book. One anecdote which I get into is really teaching my daughter how to ride her bike. She's yeah. four at the time, off training wheels. I felt no joy doing that. Oh, and I knew something yeah. was wrong at yeah. that point. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, doctor, that because you guys were so dedicated and loyal to the community, um, the I, I was locked in a house and I kept telling my wife, I've got to do something because I'm all my movie promotions are over. I can't go out and do the DJ service. I said, I've got to be with people because if they're going to be with people and, and she goes, well, you're not going to be a doctor. And I said, I know I'm not going to be a doctor. So I took on a job at a grocery store. And wow. so, and the thing is though, I got to see you guys what, because the hospital's just right down the road. And and especially when it came to coming in for dry ice, we need dry ice for the medication. We need, I mean, it was just to, to experience it. And every time I said thank you to you guys, it was more like, thank you, but I got to get to my job. And it, it, I mean, because you, you could read the body language that, but but I, I always wanted to be there for you guys. Well, we appreciate that. You know, I think in general, there was a lot of people like yourself, and that's really admirable what you did. And I appreciate that, certainly. You know, that healthcare heroes lingo really did help us in that first few months of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I talk how that transitioned out of that. You know, once the vaccine was there and COVID started, we kind of had decreasing cases and society started returning to normal the hospitals didn't return to normal, right? Um, and we're still recovering from that. And that mentality of healthcare workers being heroes, and I'm not saying we should just always be heroes and that the pedestal and the best of the best, that's not what I'm suggesting. But for all of us, for the sake of when we need healthcare and a stable healthcare system, we really need to focus on our healthcare workers in the workforce. You're absolutely right. In this day and age where it's kind of evolved and changed, I know that your world inside that hospital has changed because I was just recently had some procedures done at the hospital. And the thing is, the first thing I did was I looked over that room like you would not believe when I was rolled in there. So at the grocery store, the sneeze guards are down. We're not wearing masks. My heart is, is just in question because COVID hasn't gone away. Are you feeling the same thing? I mean, you get to touch these people. And I mean, are you in fear now? You know, it's, I feel that... Do I mask everywhere I go? No, I don't anymore. But I am vaccinated. Yeah, I have you know, done all of those mitigation measures. Um, if The minute I feel like I'm getting sick, last week I had the flu, the full-on flu. I did mask once I started recovering and going out. So I know now know when to turn it on, and I know what to do to prevent disease. But, you know, within the hospital walls, yes. Is it um, when I'm still seeing a COVID patient? Completely rattles me. It still completely rattles me. Um, because I know the degree of suffering and the degree of complications that can happen. 
Our worlds in the hospital have changed. We're not universally masking anymore. Um, and I think that's okay with the community rates and where we're at right now. With that being said, we should never mask shame somebody who is asking us to put on a mask right. or asking us to be around and saying, let's do this because you never know what their health is and why they're asking for that. So we always have to be respectful of that. You talk about something here that I know is going to make a connection with everybody in the medical world, but also anybody else who was an essential worker. The, 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 what we went through to put our souls out there, it, substance abuse, violence, divorce. I mean, you're not afraid to talk about that in this book. I'm not because I've seen it, you know, being leading my group um, and being around in this community for better or worse. I, I, I'm privy to a lot of personal, very solid relationships. And I've seen physicians go through this in and out of the pandemic. Um, I will say physicians, we are trained to not make mistakes. We are trained to heal. We are trained to fix things when we cannot. It is the worst feeling for us when we cannot overcome a challenge. It's not the way we're wired. So this pandemic especially brought so many challenges to us because there was so much that we could not fix. I could not fix. It's been a process for me to understand that, you know, being a leader, I'm not going to be able to fix everything. It may be only half fixed and I have to deal with it and move on. And that's a process of acceptance and that's setting boundaries for myself. One thing I'm really proud of is that I'm going to be able to donate all of my proceeds back to the Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation. Mm. Dr. Breen was a physician who committed suicide in 2020 after serving in a very busy ER and leading in New York City. It's tragic when her story came out and I still read back her story. It is basically one that I say to myself, this could have been me, yep. this could have been any of my colleagues. Yep. Um, and it's, it, her family started this organization to destigmatize mental health for healthcare workers, all disciplines, not just doctors, um, and really try to work on increasing the joy in practicing because we want everybody to feel safe practicing. We want everybody to feel safe that they can get help when they want to. And doctors especially sometimes don't feel that they're safe to do so because they're worried about the repercussions on what does that mean for my professional license? What does that mean for yep, my future? Yep, yep. Um, and we have to remove those barriers. And that's really one of the reasons I wrote this book because when I've shared this book kind of one-offs or my story one-off People look at me like, wow, you struggled? And I said, yes, because it's always people that seem put together on internal side that they're probably collapsing a little bit. Yeah. And we have to be comfortable talking about that. Where can people go to find out more about you and to get involved with this foundation you just spoke of? Absolutely. So my website, uh, devaldesimd.com, has all the information. The book is available at all major retailers. Dr. Lorna Breen, is, her foundation is called Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes, um, easily found on Google. And my social media pages have links to all of that as well. Man, you got to come back to this show anytime. The future is always going to be open for you, sir. I appreciate that, Arrow. It's been a pleasure being with you. Well, you'll be brilliant today, okay? Thank you so much. Take care.